Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, Christy, that was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Seeing people's reactions to the new direction (laughs) of the conversations was one of my favorite things this past week. I may actually have taken screenshots of everybody's comments who shared or reshared about the podcast because it's so fun hearing what resonates. I I so agree. I took screenshots as well. There were so many kind comments. And um, I love that so many of our listeners are excited with us about the new conversations we're going to share. But I was a little, I don't know if I was surprised, maybe a little, a little surprised or um, uh, worried for uh, some of those who responded just to share how nervous they were feeling about the changes that made me feel both love for them and tender toward them and also, you know, that responsibility of wanting to do it well for them. Yeah, (laughs) I I have to say really surprised me too. We have, I always link in the show notes to a place online. We We call it the Black Barn Online. It's a virtual community. It doesn't happen in Facebook. It's really on its own platform. You can just click through the link. It's free. And every week we have conversations there prompted by lots of things, but one of the things we always talk about is the podcast. And so I had posted a prompt the you know the week before when we were kind of teasing the change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then when I went back to read comments, was really taken away by A, how many there were, and B, how really there was this fear. Like people were like, you're going to change my favorite thing. Don't do that. Right. And it was funny for me, especially as someone who loves, you know, TV or books or music or bands who does have that feeling often. Like I will often tell Peter, oh, everything I loved about this TV series where, you know, it's usually like a police force, but they're in a quirky small town and they have a janky office that's in the back of a coffee shop or something like that adds character to the show. Sometimes if the show starts to get big, they upgrade it. And now they're in like some big metal chrome FBI building with no character. (laughs) And it drives me insane. I'm like, why did they do that? They gutted what I love. And so as I started to read people's fears, I was on the other side for a change Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. thought, oh no, I'm the showrunner. We're the creator readers who we mustn't accidentally end up in the big chrome and glass FBI building. (laughs) We have to stay in our quirky coffee shop or tea room as the case may be. And so Uh, in trying to comfort people, I responded, our hope is this will always still feel like your favorite comfy pair of jeans. But now mm. we're just adding like a really soft, comfy, worn-in sweater. <laughs> that was our hope. So I confess I was a little nervous to go and read people's reactions. Mm-hmm. And Denise, I have to tell you, thank you for your comment. You made me feel so much better because she wrote, no more fears. The podcast rocked. I love the way you guys discuss the stories. The one you're currently reading sounds so cool. I've not read that author before, but the book sounds so thought-provoking. 
It's so neat how you and Lisa Joe are so different from one another. <laughs> it makes for great book conversation. Ah, oh, the jeans are still comfy, and I'm loving the comfy sweater with them. <laughs> that made me I love so that happy. From Denise. I appreciate too. There was a comment from Karen, and she too was a little nervous. She says, I was a little nervous last week when you announced there were changes coming because I don't like my favorite things to change. Yeah. And I know you and I both, like, yeah, we get that. Um, she says, This change, however, However, is more like an upgrade. Oh, I love it. It's more like an upgrade because I love books and I'm so eager to hear what the two of you have to share. I took to heart your comments about trusting the writer of our life story. This is sometimes difficult, but when I think about the other stories he has written, I know that he is completely trustworthy. Um, so that was great from Karen and just another encouragement to keep going. And um, so I know, Lisa Joe, that those who are book lovers, um, probably it was a natural, more natural move for them to cheer the change. Mm. Um, but I know we have listeners who um, maybe don't have so much time for reading, and but they do make time for this podcast, or they're not um, book lovers in the in the same way that you and I are. Or maybe they love different kinds of books. But um, I'm what I'm excited about is is having these conversations prompted by books so that the book lovers, you know, can get something out of it, maybe run to their library, pick up the book we talked about, but also having these conversations and telling stories in a way so that those who aren't going to read the book still get like yeah. get a whole complete experience and 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 get some like treasure from the book even if they never go and read it. So right. I thought Anne there was Anne left a comment that I uh -huh. thought sums that up perfectly because she said, I love the new comfy sweater edition. I will admit when I first saw and heard, I thought I'd clicked a wrong link. <laughs> then I laughed and realized the slight name change. Then I panicked when I heard books and I thought, oh no, my book list is going to get even longer. I do love to read, but my mind was put at ease with the info mm. that it is okay, not necessarily, to read everything. Yeah. I love the description of getting the person's take on it possibly being enough. And I think that was really great. Donna said something to you. The comfy sweater book twist is such a great one. Mm. And yet people realizing it's okay that you don't, we're not giving you a whole list of to-dos. You know, Christy and I are against to-do lists usually and goals right, and planning. Right. <laughs> That the books are a jumping off point for conversations that are meaningful to us. So the books are an opening, like a door or a key mm, that unlocks yeah. something that we hope, whether you ever read the book or not, you still get something out of it. So gosh, we really loved hearing from you. If you've never clicked through to come and check out The Black Barn online, today would be a great day to do that. Every Thursday, so the day after the podcast airs, we start a conversation in the Black Barn online. So you've had time to listen to the episode and then come in, connect with others who've listened and share your thoughts because podcasts, by their nature, don't have a place where you can talk back. So we mm -hmm. thought it would be fun to create a spot for conversation over tea. Speaking of which, we have yeah. selected two winners for our virtual tea date. So many of you shared about the podcast on social media. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And also, I apologize. You're going to have to wait till the end of this episode for us to reveal <laughs> who the winners are. Stick with us. It'll be worth it. It's our own little cliffhanger, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's the most cliffhangery we get. Well, Lisa Joe, I have to admit, um, shifting into today's conversation, you and I don't often, well, sometimes, but we don't always, or even most of the time, read the same books. Mm -hmm. So I assumed that you would choose a book today that I had not read and was surprised that you chose a book that 
I have read. Not and so only have you read it, you're, you're the one who recommended this book I, to me. I did. I did. I it's, did. It's also a surprising book because it's quite heavy subject matter wise. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so don't be put off. Hang with us because this book is so much of what exactly you think it will be and not. So yeah. the book is called A Prayer for Orion, A Son's Addiction and a Mother's Love, and it's by Catherine James. And yes, this book, I'll just say it straight up, is about a mom who is helping navigate through her son's heroin addiction. Mm-hmm. She and her husband are unprepared, as all parents are. They are believers, and they are it's like a tsunami hits their family. So when Christy started telling me about this book, my initial thought was like, why would I ever read that? That sounds like you're, it's literally a mother's worst nightmare. I mean, from the opening scene, this book, I couldn't catch my breath. I mean, the opening scene is them confronting their son over text messages they find on his phone that leads them to believe he has this very serious drug addiction. And within just a few hours, you know, their son is, is they're watching their son be resuscitated. It's, mm-hmm. it's every kind of trauma I try to avoid in my mm-hmm. reading and my viewing. Okay. <laughs> and so Lisa Joe, Lisa Joe, that's why I'm so surprised, but also not surprised because I have read the book and I know how phenomenal it is. I know what an amazing writer she is. But but tell us, like, why, why? why did you pick it up? <laughs> why were you able to continue? What, what, what was it? So we have to do a little backstory here. So one of the reasons we introduced books as sort of a third person sitting at the table, if you remember from our first episode, we said, we feel like books are like friends. They are people mm-hmm. that show up and they sit down at the table. So when we talk to you about the authors of these books, we always want to share a bit of context. And I am always a sucker for the story behind the story. Mm. So when Christy started talking to me about this book, first of all, she talked about the writing. It's just astonishing writing. But then when she told me the plot, I was like, peace out. Like, Why would I ever read that? That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> but then she started telling me about Catherine James, who you call Kate, because you actually know her in your real life. Because of course mm. you do. Like Maplehurst <laughs> is not only beautiful farm country, it's like surrounded by some of the great writers. It's I don't even understand how unfair it is where you live. And I kind of am like the hang along <laughs> friend. I'm just like walking behind, hoping to sit in a corner one day with all of these people. But just give us a little glimpse into Kate. Oh my goodness. I love, I love her. I love her husband. Um, how did I meet them uh, through a mutual writer friend, because you're right, there is something about this little corner of Pennsylvania. I feel so blessed to know quite a few just phenomenal writers. So um, another writer that I have no doubt we will be talking about um, in an episode to come is Sean Smucker, who writes incredible books. Um, I've known him and his wife for ages and ages, and um, he knew Catherine, and he um, and his wife hosted a little dinner party and invited me and Jonathan, and that's where I met her. And you know those people who, like, just immediately you're like, oh, I want, please love me. <laughs> please like me. <laughs> please talk to me. And I felt that way about her and her husband, who's just, um, I, I mean, he's, I, I'm like speechless. I love him so much. He's just, I just want to sit in their presence and I want to listen to his, I mean, she's the writer, but I want to, he, uh, he's talented as well. I want to listen to his stories. I just want to sit and listen to his stories. They're just two of the kindest 
sweetest, gentlest, wisest people. And I think, and I didn't know when I first met them more of their story, but now having known them for a while and having read this memoir, I I think that hard experiences, maybe I'm painting with a broad brush here, but I, I think hard experiences, they, they sometimes turn people hard. And and sometimes they they do this really beautiful thing to people. They just open them up and soften them up and like I, I don't know, so that they become people you just really want to like sit at their feet and mm. be be with them. And not even knowing their story, I felt that way about these two. And so yeah, I think I was just telling you about them first of all, like, oh, I mm. met this amazing couple and I want you to know them too. <laughs> <laughs> and and then and that was before the memoir had even come out. So um she has also written a novel which I loved. And um, I read that right away. But yeah, the memoir hadn't come out yet. Um, and then when it did, and I, I read it and just loved it so much, I, I couldn't stop talking about it. Well, when you recommended the book to me, A Prayer for Orion, I pulled up, you know, you were so insistent that it's worth reading despite the subject matter. <laughs> and, you know, some people would say because of is why you should read it. And I was like, despite it, I will read it. Um, but I got on Amazon as I want to do. And I will do this thing where I start to read the preview content that Amazon gives you. Mm-hmm. And I will never buy a book if I'm not compelled to read as much of the preview content as I can. Mm -hmm. So with her book, I started to read the preview and then I was so upset because it cut off and Mm -hmm. I I needed to know what happened next. And here's where I have to confess. And I tried to think, will I tell this or not? But I'm going to, I'm going to confess this. So as an author myself, one of the wonderful perks of our job is that people send us books. So we get to, we get to read a lot of books for free. And I'm not often in the position where I'm paying money for a book. And I, I was like, wait, I have to buy this book <laughs> to keep reading it. So then I tried to get on the library app to see if I could read it through my library because I get lots of books that way, but it hadn't been, you know, wasn't on the library yet. And this is when the book had been released, but it wasn't on a library yet. So then I admit I went to NetGalley, which is a service where if you are on a book launch team or you're a pre-reader, you can get access to a manuscript if you agree to review it. So then I went on there to see if I could find it for free free. Then I searched Google Books where sometimes you can find things for free. Lisa Joe, you're terrible. I, I know. And then I realized, <laughs> Lisa Joe, you want to read this book so badly. <laughs> what are you doing? Just pay the $12 or $9 or whatever. And I did. And I would pay it again because mm-hmm. I bought the book on my Kindle and even though I enjoy reading books in hand, one of the reasons I loved reading it on my Kindle is you can take notes, you know, you can highlight things and then it saves all of those notes. So actually today I don't have a hard copy in front of me. I have my computer screen and I have all of these many, many highlights I made in this book. I think this is a, you know, this is a book about a mother whose child is addicted to heroin and overdoses not just once, but more than once in this book. And they have that, this is not a spoiler, that horrifying experience where you think your child is going to die. Mm -hmm. And yet, here's my confession. I found myself at times feeling jealous of Catherine James. And you're wondering, why? (laughs) Like, Why would you feel jealous of that? Why would you ever want to be in that position? And here's the reason why. I was so stunned by how she became, throughout the course of this book, as desperate for God as her son was for heroin. 
And there is a level of honesty in this book that I don't know we often experience when we talk about the redeeming grace of Christ. Because one of the things she does in this book is she doesn't shy away from the physical effects of detox. She talks about vomit and the color of your diarrhea and how your body shakes and the sweat and the smells, very visceral experiences. And as I was reading them, I realized, you know, when we talk about Christ coming to us, like coming to meet us in our sin or our despair or whatever that thing is, I don't know that we we often imagine him taking us, grabbing us into his arms when we are covered with our own vomit or diarrhea or despair or hair that's falling out or affair we had or guilt or whatever it is in our lives. And there was something about the visceral experience of this story that showed me in a way I think I had forgotten how how Jesus does that. And um, there's a quote I want to read where I think it sums it up really perfectly. Um, it's it's very powerful. She's talking about the desire for God, like how how this journey made her crave God. And she says here, I often think that eternally speaking, a woman pleading with God to get her off heroin is better off than a woman planning her next meal. Seeking God is always better than not seeking God, no matter what the circumstances. And while I'd already been praying for years, when I first learned our son had tried heroin, I'd never been to that place where, like the woman I imagined on the couch trying to quit, I felt every pang and gag and twitch of pain and had to beg God to save me until I understood how possible it was that we could lose him. I suppose what I'm getting at here is that, as it says in Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and that being brokenhearted is a fruitful place to be. Whew, Christy, yeah. like, I, I mean, I almost don't have words for that. It is mm-hmm. it's a place in my own life I don't know that I've been to in quite the same way. Maybe once or twice, my father was very sick last year. We haven't talked about it much on the podcast, but he nearly nearly died from COVID. And I was here in the States having not seen him or been home for three years. And I think that might be one of the closest places I've walked up to that line or when my mom was dying of leukemia. But when I read that, I realized, you know, the Psalms of anything are the least sanitary part of Scripture, right? Like David really lets it all hang out. And when he talks about the brokenhearted, and she puts it in this context, it was like a light turned on, like an ultraviolet technicolor understanding, again, of grace, which is a word I think that's deeply watered down in our society. Mm-hmm. And I think this book may be one of the reasons it stirred back in my head. I read it last year, I think, maybe the year before last. I'm trying to remember, maybe the year before last. Um, but it stuck with me for such a long time because while it is a very hard story, the God in it, I, I guess it's that old cliche, like the light is bright 
when it's dark. So like you can have like a tiny pinprick of light, but when you're in a completely <laughs> black room, that pinprick is like a bonfire. And I think that's how this book felt, like a bonfire of grace. And I'll say for our readers who are worried about outcome, without giving a lot away, I'll just reassure you that her son does not die. And I know I wouldn't have read this book if he had. And so I asked Christy about that before I read the book. So I'm telling our listeners, he doesn't die. And I needed to know that head, heading in. And I've read others where an author's child does pass away. And I, I always feel like heading into it, I need to know because it helps me as I'm processing. But wow, that kind of bonfire faith that almost burns to stand near, Christy, is I think what you were trying to describe to me when you were trying to get me to read the book. Yeah. And I'll say, Lisa Jo, I'm I'm a little like (laughs) choking up because it is so moving, but I'll say that as much as I come up here, you know, to the podcast or even our own conversations and, and say that I... I'm okay with sad stories. I seek out sad stories. Um, the truth is, I don't. I don't pursue all the hard books or the hard headlines. Like mm. I'm sure many of our listeners, I try to protect myself quite often by tuning certain things out, thinking I cannot go there. I cannot handle that. Um, and sometimes I'm sure that's possibly wise and and is, is setting a good boundary. Um, but I know that. That we all, we all need stories of God's goodness. And, and that means sometimes stories of really hard things, mm-hmm. because if we're, we're not occasionally, and it may be in a book or it may be with, like walking alongside a friend who's going through something hard. It may just be drawing close to that friend and drawing close to that hard thing in our life, in, in their life. Um, and when we do that, then we get to see God's goodness shining so bright in ways that we just couldn't if we were always avoiding mm-hmm. the harder, darker stories or experiences in life. So I'm at once absolutely with with you and our listeners and compassionate for that sense of like, oh, it's too painful because I do that all the time. A book will come across and I think, nope, nope, too painful. And I will go pick up my cozy mystery novel. Mm. (laughs) I am currently reading a cozy mystery novel. Like I, you know, I too seek out comfort reads and just comforts as we all do. Um, And yet I I know having read stories like, like Catherine's, um, there would be um, a fullness to my understanding of God, a fullness to my understanding of His goodness and His grace, if that I would be missing, right? If I if I were closed off completely to these hard stories, so it it's it's like both. You know, I'm not saying we now read every <laughs> hard book or or you know pursue every you know hard headline or news story or whatever it is. Um, but at the same time, I encourage all of us to remember, remember, oh my goodness, I cannot shut all of this out or I will miss out on the story of grace. I mean, especially um, as believers, I think in this context in which we're recording right now, you know, we're in the middle of the Chauvin trial. We are seeing headlines about Dante Wright. We are watching just the boiling up of the communal cry of pain and outrage and questions. And I was stopped this morning in my Instagram scroll by you, Christy, and you shared a post by Patricia Taylor. And this is what you wrote under it. You wrote, am I listening or am I tuning these stories and headlines out? And I think that's exactly what we're talking about here, that it is 
our human nature to want to shy away from the stories mm-hmm. that are so painful. And I clicked right. through to read Patricia's story, and it's the story about her playing outside with her brother when they were 12. It's her remembering she's an adult black woman here in America, and she's just telling the story of what it was like playing in their backyard in summertime and having the police stop by to ask what are you doing to her brother, essentially? Yeah. Why are you here? Do you live here? Can you prove that you live here? Something that should have been completely innocuous turned out to be something incredibly heightened and scary. And I've been trying to lean into this and write about it myself, especially as a white person. And, you know, I'm a white person who grew up in South Africa, so I bring a different kind of lens as we think about these stories, and I understand the power of being willing to read and listen. In South Africa, at the end of apartheid, we had what was called a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, where hearings were held. They were really a lot like more like church services than like court experiences across the country, and they were always held in uh, like elementary school halls, you know? So, like, imagine mm-hmm. a gym <laughs> hall, and they would start with a candle being lit and a prayer, and then people would give testimony, but really it was just they would come up and tell their stories about what had happened, and the country Mm -hmm. bore witness. That's literally what happened. People bore witness for three years to what had happened, and people told their stories of violence, racial violence, because there was an amnesty they could receive if they were willing to tell the whole truth, if it was a politically motivated act, and if it had taken place during a certain time period. And it's because Bishop Desmond Tutu at the time said we need truth. We need to know what happened to people. Families need closure. And so he always says we traded truth for justice. We gave Mm -hmm. up having a court trial in order to have these public hearings where we could hear truth. They were very hard to hear and listen. They were broadcast across the news for three years, the national news, then the country bore witness. And I mentioned that to say it was hard, right? It was, and it was, it was hard for me as a white person. Imagine how it was for the black people in our nation. It was very heavy. It was sad. It brought up all kinds of questions. And I think one of the things I'm, I'm trying to spend my life doing is realizing how do I stand with a posture of being willing to hear and listen before I am trying to push back or explain away or disagree mm-hmm. or be defensive. I think defensiveness is my natural bent. I'm a lawyer by training. Like I want to think of all the arguments on the other side. This is why books like this, I think, teach us something. And you and I talk about that a lot. How do books teach us to be good listeners, to be good interpreters, to be willing to open ourselves up to somebody else's story that might be very painful. And I think one of the mm-hmm. things that really struck me with Kate's story, and I don't know if you remember this, mm-hmm. but I, halfway through, and I feel like I need to apologize to Kate if she's listening. This is just my true witness. Halfway through, I voxed Christy, and I was like super annoyed, like as a parent. Do you remember, Do you know what I'm going to say? I do. <laughs> I was super judgy, okay? I was just like, I don't even understand this. Why are they letting these kids hang out in their house? Why are they giving their son cigarettes? Like, it's like they're just asking for this to happen. Rah, 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 rah. And I realized like how easy and how quick it was for me mm. to just get so mad at them. And when I tried to follow that back, I think it's because there's a fear in me. I think that's where it really stems from, right? There's this fear of like, 
well, this is what I would do different so that couldn't happen to me. And then I was so convicted because I landed on this next passage in her book. She writes this. She says, it took me a long time to understand that sometimes kids do drugs, even if their parents follow the rules and check the boxes, and that conversely, kids without healthy upbringings often stay sober and focused. Rick and I, perhaps because of our assumption that a certain type of parenting would prevent having a wayward child, were, as the Bible says, caught unawares. Mm. I had to sit with that for a while and really let it sink in. And I think that applies to everything in life. It's this human nature to feel like, well, if I do X, Y will result. And if you did Y, it must be because you were responsible for X. And books like this help us realize that sometimes bad things happen. <laughs> like sometimes mm-hmm. mistakes are made. Sometimes there isn't an alternate that you could have done perfectly that wouldn't have got you into this place. And the posture of humility in this book, it felt it was devastating for me. Like it was so, and I mean devastating in the literal sense of the word, like it devastated me. Mm-hmm to watch her humility and realize like how quick I am to judge how full I am of my own pride when it comes to what I would have done in those situations. I, who've never sat with a child who's detoxing, who's never made space for a kid whose parents have kicked him out, who's never like allowed the pain of loving a kid at that level to interrupt me. You know, the inter- I think that's another thing I keep sensing, like the earthquake of interruption in your life when you let people who are suffering in this way come in. Wow. It's just yeah. and it, because part of the story that's so interesting is it's not just their own son. There are other kids that they spend time with that they are loving and helping figure it out. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just devastating in how it humbled me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we all judge others, and and like you, I do that often as a parent because I'm afraid, because I want to be reassured that I'm doing certain things so that other certain things can't happen, right? right? And judgment right. helps me, like, maintain that wall of, of deluge, self-delusion um, and protection because I'm afraid, right? Judging does that. But it it becomes, I think, less and less possible to judge when... We enter into someone's story, whether through a book or through friendship. Um, now, if it's someone we know, someone who is sharing honestly with us, maybe someone we've come to love, it just becomes harder and harder to judge in a way that now we're opened up, now we're vulnerable, now we're saying, oh, this could this could be me, this could be my child. Mm-hmm. You brought up, you know, current circumstances and... Um, and I felt that recently um, because, you know, one of the um, devastating stories that um, was, has been coming out in recent weeks um, is the story of little um, Adam in Chicago, who was only 13 when um, he was shot um, by a police officer. And that story, I think, for me, could have been just another headline, a terrible headline, but just another complicated, sad headline, except that it's Chicago, you know, city of my heart, city where we met, Lisa Joe, mm. and also um, because my boys are that age, mm. and they were born in Chicago, 
And um, when I finally let myself listen to the headlines, because I really had been holding them off for a long time, when I finally listened, <laughs> then I started to follow those connections. And I started to feel, how, how far am I from, from thinking that could be my son? There are a few things that protect me, you know, and my boys are white skin, um, different things. But um, I, I started to feel closer to that story than, than I had. You know, I had been feeling far apart. Chicago, mm. it's so far away. My kid, you know, would never be out in the middle of the night. Um, you know, these things that I tell myself to say, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to feel that pain. Um, we're, we're broken down just by that proximity and by those those connections of city and age and until I did begin to see my my boy's face on that boy's face. And the same thing, you know, reading this memoir, I had that experience as well. I could no longer say, oh, that would never be my child. Reading that story, I could say, you know what? I don't know. Right. I don't know. My sons are just becoming teenagers. I don't, I don't know. Um, and yeah, as hard as that is to confront and to feel like now my self-protection is gone, what then do we have left? We have only the God who loves us and sustains us. I have a good friend who often says, and as you know, little simple proverbs go, of course we can pick holes in it, but I think for the most part, this one holds. She says, God protects me from nothing, but sustains me in all things. Mm. Mm. Now, what I take that to mean is often God protects us, right? I have experienced that in my own life. I can, I feel like often we just walk in grace being protected on all sides, but there are no guarantees that the thing that to me feels like the worst possible thing will not happen to me. There are no guarantees that mm-hmm. I will not lose a child or that I will not walk a similar path to, to Kate or, you know, so in that sense, God protects us from nothing, but sustains us in everything. And to come to a place of realizing, oh, that's that's actually good news. It sounds at first like bad news. I just want to be safe. But it's actually good news to know that God will be in all places. That right. if, like Jonah, we end up in that dark, dark belly of a whale, God will be there. God will be there. And God will be nearer to us maybe than we've ever experienced God's nearness. Like That is actually good news. Um, and to hear stories of people who have walked hard, hard roads, and who still testify to God's goodness is so encouraging, so life-changing. You know, it's that like great cloud of witnesses, and they're witnessing to God's goodness, and and they are um, reflecting God's light, even in dark places. Um, so, you know, it's funny, Lisa Joe, when we started this podcast shift, I thought, hey, we're going to go easy on our listeners. We're going to ease into this. We're going to pick really fun, light books. <laughs> and I am sure we will. I think you and I both have fun books on our shelves that we're eager just to have fun, light conversations. But I, I think it's, I don't know, I think it's, in a funny way, this isn't how we would have chosen to like launch these new conversations. And yet, I, I think we're being, I think we're listening and trying to respond to what we're hearing, and mm. and I'm sure not doing it perfectly, but um, it's funny. It's it's kind of surprised me <laughs> the conversations we've had. And I will say that I think it's influenced by what we're living through, right? So sometimes what yeah. we read is reflecting what we're yeah. living, and we're living through some hard things. We're coming out of a pandemic. We're now heading mm-hmm. back into summer, mm-hmm. and our children will be still home with us. Yeah. The headlines are on fire. I'm getting messages from my family in South Africa, like, "What is happening in America?" I have. Um, I have three black siblings, you know, I, 
when we talk about these things, they're not just headlines. They are real. My sons in America, my white son who's about to turn 16 and my big 13-year-old, they love to play with Nerf guns. They ask me if Krabble was here in America, could we play in the yard still with guns, you know? And it's so shocking to me to think about that and say, no, I don't think I would let you do that. We are living in a time and place where we are trying to understand. We are creatures who are created in the image of God who is always trying to make sense from chaos, to make order, and we're trying to understand what's happening. And books are like decoders, is how I think of them. They help us decode what's happening around us. And Mm -hmm. Kate's in particular is one where she is in a world of chaos. Like, how do you possibly make sense of a heroin addiction? Like, how do you even navigate that? And I think what I love about this book is it's so honest. There isn't this one right way. There isn't this one right thing they should have done. Yeah. The one right thing is God in the midst of all of it. And I think that's what's been so helpful to me, that pointing back to God and that God can handle it. No matter how terrible your reality is or how wonderful, how brutal or how peaceful, like there is God in the center of it. And she has this, I guess maybe one of these final quotes I read from her, she says, if you back up enough to see the full picture of time, of eternity, and acknowledge all that we don't see from our perspective. It certainly flattens the playing field. Here I sit in my comfortable house with my laptop and coffee, wondering what we'll have for dinner, while a woman on the other side of town is calling out to God for help while she detoxes on her couch because she wants to be a better mother. She's calling for him and calling for him because she knows he's her only hope. Even though he's the one who takes, he's also the one who gives, the one who loves, and the one who saves. And it's just a really powerful reminder that God is God is the only consistent, no matter what we are walking through. And books like this are like a compass you can hold in your hand in you know your stormiest night and point to the God who is still there in the middle of the terrible. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is what I took away from this book, just how powerful it was to see a mother navigate the worst thing I can imagine a parent walking through. And I can imagine for a lot of the Black community, what they are looking at is their worst nightmare come true. As parents, we can appreciate that too. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, God, where are you? Like, Where are you in all of this? And books like Kate's remind me that God is, like, He just is there. It's so powerful. And um, I think one of the things that's really beautiful— I Okay, I said that I had read a last quote, but I'm going to read one more. <laughs> Go for it. She's talking about doxology here. Doxology means words or worship or praise, words of glory. And she's saying that there's something about waiting. So I would describe that as like being in the storm, like whatever that is in your life, like whatever your waiting looks like. And we talked a lot about waiting last year. And I think as a country, we are we're, we all feel this deep tension of being on the edge of our seats waiting, but for something we can't even quite put into words, you know? And I think that's where a lot of dread and fear comes from. We don't even know what we're waiting for. And um, she says here, waiting catapults you into doxology, which is like words of worship or praise or glory. She says, as counterintuitive as it is for a Christian, words of worship, while in that hand-wringing, will-this-ever-end place, 
can transcend cancer cells, overdoses, and ugly mauve rooms into a foretaste of stars and mountains and a God so beautiful and intimate that you begin to understand the vastness of your future joy. You meet a new joy when you praise God from whom all blessings flow. Back then, though, when I was waiting for news about our son, I didn't really know these things yet. And I think that's the hope to take out of stories like this, that no matter how dark the night seems or how afraid we might feel, and those they don't even have to be the big headline fears, right? They might be smaller personal fears. You might think almost this fear I'm struggling with is too ordinary, too small compared to the headlines. But I just I want to tell you today, it isn't to God. He He knows that you're wading through it. And he's given us this powerful tool of worship in the midst of waiting that mm-hmm. really reminds us that he directs the world. <laughs> the world doesn't direct <laughs> him. Like, he's not just the compass, he's north. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Like, God is north. He mm-hmm. He is the direction. That's beautiful. That's well said. I love how one gifted writer, uh, gifted with words, can inspire, like, more gorgeous words and I love what you said, Lisa Joe. There's no one right way in this book. There's no formula to follow. Like God is the right way. God is the right thing. That's gorgeous. And whether we continue this conversation over tea with two mm. special friends or maybe just some lighthearted conversation as some of our podcasts are, um, either is fine. Friends talk about all things, but we are so excited to share a virtual tea um, with two listeners and maybe some friends if they want to invite some friends um, who shared about the podcast. It meant so much to us that you shared, that you told others. And so I um, pulled up a random number generator (laughs) to sift through all of you who shared. And um, we chose one uh, American domestic listener and one international. And drum roll, Lisa Joe, you want to read the names? The winners are Sophie Crespi. And Lori Jean Whitaker. We cannot wait to have tea with you. And feel free to pick some friends. So we will follow up by sending you a a message, an email to set up a time and um, an appointment for tea. Feel free to invite a bunch of your friends. Thank you so much for being such longtime listeners and sharers of the show. And we're excited about that. So we, I think, Chrissy, that we might have to do more of that in the future, like virtual tea dates with listeners. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. So thank you for being part of our community. If you want to continue this conversation, I know it's been a heavy one. Please just come and click the link in the show notes or you can go to blackbarnonline.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.